Hello, listener. You've clicked on the latest episode of Michigan Soccer Central, your weekly tour of the world's game right here in the Great Lakes state of Michigan. My name's Robert Kerr, your host. Very happy to be alive and well with you again for another episode. Um, We are coming close to uh, uh, a year of making this show, so very excited about that. This week, we've got three major parts. We're going to review the weekend with my first guest. We got Dan Jury from Cap City Athletic to talk about the latest women's or the latest generation of women's uh, soccer in uh, Lansing. And then we are at the end of the program. We are going to announce the winner of the $100 soccer.com gift card courtesy of Oakland County FC. Like I said, cold weekend here in the Mitten, and there was lots of soccer's going on. We had youth soccer kicking off. I know I'm coaching uh, my kids' first practices this week. I was at Oakland County FC open tryouts. So you might have seen my goofy mug on the Oakland County FC uh, social medias talking about uh, a frozen open tryout there in uh, Clawson Stadium. But uh, there was also a USL championship game to discuss. Detroit City FC was in action in Hamtramck and helped me uh, talk about it because I was out in the burbs. So I got editor of the program and a big fan of Detroit City FC to kind of Walk us through what happened in uh, Detroit's game on Saturday. Jenny Hajnaki, thank you for uh, uh, popping on the episode. Thanks for uh, giving me the chance to come on for, what is this, the third time now? Something like that, but you have a hand in uh, 99.9% of all episodes. Uh, Jenny is the one patching it all together, making uh, it sound like I know what I'm doing. Yes, that's exactly what I do. Uh, I make it sound like you know what you're doing. I clean up your mistakes, and I make your guests louder. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, exactly. You know, we got to emphasize the guests as opposed to emphasizing you because they're the important ones around here. Most definitely, uh, we've had some great guests. Definitely, listener, check out uh, the backlog of episodes. There's lots of evergreen content on there. Uh, players, stories, uh, administrators, coaches, lots of great stuff. And then as well as timely episodes uh, like uh, this first segment as well. You were down there. I was freezing out in the suburbs. You were freezing down in the city. What did you see? I saw a very physical soccer game. It was a very physical and very poorly officiated soccer game. Uh, I mean, all four of Detroit City FC's games so far have been on the physical side, particularly that opener against San Antonio and then this one against Memphis. But unlike the, the San Antonio game, the, the the referee didn't exactly have control of the game. He was very arbitrary in his, a lot of his decision-making. He he gave out some suspicious yellow cards. that was like, okay, you could have let that one go while also letting go some stuff that was worse than some of the yellow card fouls. And it, it it didn't destroy the match, but it certainly took its toll. I wouldn't go so far to say that's what cost DCFC getting all three points. Because I think they were the better team throughout the 90 minutes overall. But it certainly 
it certainly affected the way the game was played, particularly later in the second half, when both teams had seen just, okay, what can we do? What can't we do? And it kind of, it just, it, it kind of, it kind of led to a very heated, unnecessarily heated game. Just the, the referee had a, a just a, a negative impact because, um, reading up on the game and kind of catching the highlights and just kind of the social media reaction, the, the number one talking point did seem to be the refereeing. Yeah. And, and the reason I don't say that's the reason city couldn't pull out the win in this one is because he was doing it for both sides. I, the, the first really questionable decision, he gave Abadoulia Dia a yellow card early on in the match. And it's like, Foul, maybe, but it was it was kind of kind of a flop on the part of the Memphis player that went down. It, Diop went in for a slide tackle. The Memphis player got a good jump over him. I mean, Diop might have clipped him a little bit, but really, just he he landed awkwardly from his little avoidance move there, and that just kind of really set the tone. I mean, there there were moments where it's like, okay, a, a player a defender backs into the uh, a forward going out of a mutual header and. The forward gets called for the foul or something like that. It's just, it was, and again, it happened both both ways, but it was just it created a really annoying game. If we didn't say at the top, we were talking about Saturday's one-one draw between Detroit City FC and uh, Memphis nine-zero-one in a USL Championship action on Saturday afternoon in Hamtramck. Um, so, kind of some uh, kind of. Questionable decisions made for a fractured game. Uh, from what I've heard, it was slow at the beginning and picked up in the second half, though. For uh, as far as Detroit said, would say it definitely, it definitely did. I, I think it's, the city's kind of developing a reputation for this early on, where they, they're, they're having trouble kind of getting into the games in the first half. Yeah, you saw it last week in the Pittsburgh game where they got sloppy in the back. They gave up, a, gave up kind of a sloppy goal. They had. They struggled kind of getting the ball into the box when they had possession. And really, it wasn't until the second half when they started creating some actual chances. Saturday against Memphis was very much the same story, where you saw the, a one moment of weakness at the back. It was And it was in uh, the 28th minute when Philip Goodrum slipped a, slipped a shot in past Nate. And it was really just a result of defensive communication kind of breaking down a little bit. Uh, and... That was really the, really the only moment where you looked at that team and said, oh, that was a mistake. Because the rest of the game, at least at the back, they were basically perfect. Memphis did not have any other chances to score besides that one where they actually did capitalize. And it, going forward, again, first half, really cagey, really couldn't really figure out what they were doing as far as penetrating the Memphis penalty area. They got maybe one half chance. But then in the second half, it's like, how do they only score one goal? Reese Williams, he balled out on the right side of the formation. He was just pumping in cross after cross after cross. He made Memphis, the right side of the Memphis defense just look silly in a lot of cases, just running around them with nice dribbles and floating crosses into usually Pato Patel Faz, but uh, Connor Rutz and Antoine Hoppano were also in the action. And just you wonder how they only got one goal and they had one opportunity to go off the crossbar. They had a couple of near misses, a couple of Reese Williams crosses that like just missed their connecting target. And just, they played so much better after the break. that it's like, okay, Trevor James is doing a great job at halftime, but let's, 
let's get it a little earlier next time. Yeah, that's that. That seems to be a theme because I, I watched the the Pittsburgh game, and uh, I to be fair, I was a little worried about them that last five minutes before halftime in the Pittsburgh game. I was a little worried. I was like, I'm not sure how, if they're going to hang in this one. Uh, were you ever like worried for them against Memphis? I wouldn't say worried, mostly because they played so solid, solidly outside that one incident that led to the goal. So I wasn't really worried. And just the way they were playing in the second half, I was like, okay, they're going to find the goal here. I, first half is like, okay, there's plenty of time. They can still come back and get something here, but. Second half, like, okay, I knew they would find the goal. And honestly, after they got that first one, I kind of thought a second one was coming. I just never did. Hmm. The the, the goal they, they gave up in uh, the 28th minute to Goodrum, it was a surprising uh, defensive lapse when I when I mm-hmm. saw that back. Like, he just turned up the middle and just no one stepped and, you know, you know blocked his way through. And he, yeah. I, whoever got that assist for Memphis, was it uh, – Kelly it was Jeremy Kelly. Yes. Yeah. He, he just, yeah. He just like kind of turned D up and just went through and either weren't fast enough or just didn't react quick enough. And and it was just very uncharacteristic for anyone to go up the middle. And um, yeah, I was surprised, but you, you were saying that was the only real time that they were able to do that. Yeah. Because other, other than that, they just, they, they never looked like they were threatening. And you look at the, the numbers, they kind of reflect that. Uh, 63% possession to City, only one big chance, which was the goal for Memphis. Although they had nine shots, most of them were fairly harmless. Uh, and Nate, other than that one play, was not really tested in the City goal, whereas City was like, they, they peppered 14 total shots with their 63% possession. Uh, four of them got on target. One of them just wham right the crossbar. And so... Yeah, they they played in generally a really good game, and you look at all the numbers from it. It's like you wonder, like, well, how did this team only get that one one draw? And so in that sense, it was kind of annoying. So after four regular season games in their USL championship campaign, uh, one win, one loss, two ties, and um, you're saying how didn't they get the winner on Saturday? I'm looking at the the FOTMOB stats here, or the stats on FOTMOB. And it's a you know sixty three percent possession for DCFC with fourteen shots, three big chances. Um, that that's considerable. I, I was actually really surprised that their 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 passing numbers. I mean, they completed four hundred four passes. Right. Uh, I, I mean, this is kind of kind of new to uh, tracking the stats like this because obviously uh, previous leagues didn't have this kind of detail covered it too much. Um, that seems like a good amount of passing. It was, and they really were trying to play a possession game, whereas in, in their previous three games, they were kind of playing a, a more of a fast-paced, counter-attacking sort of scenario where they were getting guys like Williams and Declan Wynn running forward down the wings with a lot of pace, whereas they were being a little more patient against Memphis. They were trying to get Maxi Rodriguez and Connor Rutz kind of involved in the center of the park picking some passes outside the wingers before the crosses came in. They were relying a lot less on their speed this time around. And I would have liked to see them kind of try to transition to a speedier game. Uh, I feel like the uh, for all the praising I gave Trevor for his, uh, his halftime adjustments, I feel like he could have done a little more later in the second half with substitutions. Uh, 
Antoine Hoppenau had kind of a frustrating game, and he wasn't subbed out until the 91st minute when Francis Atuahene came in. I feel like Sydney could have used Atuahene's legs probably about 15 minutes earlier in the match when it was kind of clear that Hoppenau was a little bit disconnected from the rest of the team. It just, it just felt like he was uh, he was getting the ball and then wasn't able to do anything actually with it. He wasn't finding his teammates. He wasn't able to turn some defenders. And he wasn't really getting any kind of chances on goal. I would like to have seen Atua Hene come in a little sooner and possibly try to create more on the left side to counter the the, well, the wonderful play on the right from, from uh, Reese Williams. Uh, but other than that, it, it was – yeah, that was kind of the game that I saw in the second half. and it was, I would like to see a little bit more uh, adjustments as the second half wore on. So who's uh, your, your favorite uh, new player on, on the squad? I really like watching Reese Williams play. I mean, this is, Saturday was the first time I got to see them in person. I'd watched the previous three matches on TV. But I look at like Reese Williams, he's kind of got this nice combination of speed going down the right side, the ability to find a, a target man in the box, whether it's through a high cross or a low cross, or even cutting inside and you know, slipping something in a little more precision-like rather than just flopping it into the box of a cross. But I, I really, really like watching him play. I also like uh, last week's guest, uh, Amu Mensah. Uh, he's kind of like Devinov Mumensa. He's kind of this, uh, he stays responsible at the back, but he's also very capable of marauding himself forward because he's got some good pace. So he's kind of makes for a great outside back in that back three formation that Trevor James likes to play right now. And he makes an interesting, makes for an interesting dual threat, particularly when, uh, your left midfielder, in this case, Declan Wynn, was he was doing all right, but he he was he wasn't having his best game so far in the season. But thankfully, Amu Mensa was there to pick up the pace on the outside and make something happen from the back. Yeah, Amu Mensa last week's um, guest in our uh, weekly segment, uh, the La Rouge Report, and this week our La Rouge Report is going to be uh, saved. For after the uh, Open Cup game, you might just get your wish. You might hear a little bit more from your favorite new player, Jenny. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that Reese Williams interview if you indeed manage to land that for after this Open Cup game uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night against the Stars. And then uh, DCFC has their second USL Championship road game. They go play Atlanta United 2 on Saturday night. Um, LaRouge returns home Friday, April 15th, and they'll be welcoming the Birmingham Legion. So uh, plenty to look forward to for DCFC. But on this program, uh, keep it locked in. If you entered the contest to win a $100 gift card, for soccer.com, uh, courtesy of Oakland County FC. Uh, keep it tuned into the end of the show. But first, we are going to speak with Dan Jury from Cap City Athletic 1847. And we're going to learn about the next generation of uh, women's soccer in Lansing. All right, friends, we now turn our attention to Lansing and kind of a follow-up conversation with uh, from our episode about a month or so ago with journalist Phil Friend because there is a bit of a regeneration of uh, clubs, specifically sports 
uh, soccer sports uh, clubs representing uh, the capital city going on right now and to take a, a closer look at one of these new teams in uh, Lansing and one of the new teams playing this summer, I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome uh, the Director of Coaching and Player Development of CAP City Athletic 1847, Mr. Dan Jury. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here and have a chance to talk about the club. Yes, like I said, um, there's a whole regeneration of summer soccer going on in Lansing uh, right now. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, Cap City Athletic. Uh, well, we started as a youth club uh, seven years ago. We just finished up our seventh fall. Um, it was a club that I started that we started myself, Eric DeLong, and Stacy DeLong. Uh, we've all been coaching in the area for a long time. And, and we kind of looked around at the landscape and um, didn't see what, what we had wanted to see uh, in terms of what the kids were getting. So we set about starting our own club. And, and then um, part of that, when we started the club was always wanting to have, um, you know, something for our youth players to come back to once they left and went on to college. So um, a men's and women's team was always part of that, uh, part of the plan. Um, and then Lansing United popped up before we could really get ourselves established as a youth club. And uh, rather than compete with them, we figured, you know, Lansing being a smaller area, it was better to support Jeremy and Lansing United um, than try to start something else. So we did that. I was the assistant coach with uh, with Jeremy's uh, Lansing United team and, and with Jason there was a, a goalkeeper coach and um, really enjoyed it. Got to know the league pretty well and see how it runs and, um, yeah, then when when Jeremy decided that uh, he he couldn't keep Lansing United going, we talked about this being our time to to kind of pick up where he left off and and build from from there. So that's where we where we are today. Well, excellent, excellent. I I I can't wait to dig into the uh, the summer side stuff. But going back to the youth side just for a moment, uh, you said that uh, when you guys started the. Uh, the clubs yourselves, what was it that you wanted to add to the Lansing landscape for the children? Well, really, you know, youth sports is such a powerful tool for, for developing people um, at an early age, you know, and, and the, the amount of work you can do in character skill development with kids through sports um, and all that youth sports can teach the kids is really what we wanted to, to drive home and make that the foundation of the club, you know, and, um, it all will lead to to strong teams and winning and, and playing at a higher level. But, you know, at the end of the day, how many of these kids that, that are playing youth soccer are going to go on to be um, not only professional players, but college players? You know, their their career may be done when they're done with, with high school. So, you know, what kind of people are we putting out into the world after their experience with us? So, you know, that, that was what we looked at. Um, and we set about developing the club around a mission statement that says to elevate the landscape of youth sport through the daily player experience. Um, you know, one of the things we've done is even this winter, you know, we, we keep trying to implement more and more of the character development stuff, but our, our player review meetings this winter were about character skills, not about soccer. You know, we're, we're giving them soccer feedback on a daily basis in practice and in games. So we thought that this winter, you know, in our winter evaluations going forward is a great opportunity to sit down and go, all right, well, what kind of a person are you and, and how can we help you develop along that path so that, you know, you can be a, a better person when, when all this is said and done. How has the response 
uh, to these programs been from uh, the kids and the parents? It's been great. Um, we started uh, the first year with 12 teams. Uh, I think we were around you know, 150, 175 players. Um, we're up to 34 teams now, plus our juniors program and our mini kickers and kickers. Um, and we've got over 600 kids involved in the club right now. So um, it, it's been great. Um, you know, we're starting to get teams that are pushing more and more into the um, National League, uh, you know, as they get older. Uh, most of our girls teams from uh, what, under under 13 and up are now National League teams. Um, our boys teams are starting to really develop and get stronger and stronger. We had two teams last year competing for, um, let's see, our 07 boys competed in the State Cup round of 16, I believe it was. And then our 06 boys uh, made it to the semifinals. So, um, yeah, things are things are going great. We're, it's been a there's been a great response to what we're offering. Um, you know, we've got some growing pains as we get bigger and bigger, but, uh, all in all, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun these last seven years. Moving to the, 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 the newer news of the expansion of a pre-professional or a, uh, summer club soccer, uh, side that, uh, you know, is, I guess, I don't, what are you classifying as a senior team or a pre-pro? What would you classify the uh, new team that's participating in the UWS? Pro-Am. That's what we've been told to call it. It's not semi-pro. It's not pro. It's it's pro-Am. Um, you know, we want to first and foremost make sure that our, our college players maintain their eligibility. Um, so that kind of limits so limits us to what you can call it. So, so you kind of uh, talked about a little bit uh, uh, a few years ago. You wanted to get into this uh, realm. Um, but Lansing United kind of was already built up and you, in fact, um, were on the staff there and that uh, ha- has gone away. So so I guess what really um, got the ball rolling for this UWS team? Well, I think, you know, Lansing United and, and Jeremy had uh, developed a really good foundation, um, they had a really good culture within Lansing United. Um, the, the players really seemed to enjoy it, you know, and it was I guess it was really done the right way. I mean, you look at what these players want and, you know, one, you, you got to look at what the coaches want, I guess, first, the college coaches. And, you know, they don't want their players beat up and burn out. Um, so it's not where we're bringing them in and we're going to train five days a week and play twice a week. Um, the players just want to, they want to stay sharp. You know, they want to get a, get better throughout the summer, but at the same time, they want to be ready when fall comes around. They don't want to be burnt out. They don't want to have any overuse injuries. Um, you know, and God forbid we have any, any serious injuries that keep them out of their fall season, but you know, just as a way to maintain a, a decent fitness pace and, and keep their game sharp. So, um, you know, we, we had, we thought, you know, as soon as we heard that, that Lansing United wasn't going to be able to continue, you know, it was, it was leaving a hole. I think there were a lot of kids in the area that had started to enjoy coming out to the games. Um, you're starting to see more and more of the girls come and, and want to emulate the players that they're seeing on the field. And, when we saw an opportunity to put some really high level players into a cap city uniform and allow our youngest players to, to come and see these really strong female leaders out wearing the same kit that they do, um, or at least the same, same logo that, that they sport on their jerseys. Um, we jumped at the chance, you know, we said, this is our opportunity to make this happen. And it may not come again because, you know, as you've seen on the men's side, now there's, there's multiple teams. So, 
we thought uh, this was a great opportunity for us to, to join the UWS. Yeah. So uh, what uh, kind of went into the choice for uh, going into uh, UWS, which stands for United Women's Soccer? Uh, why that league? Um, honestly, we didn't even consider the, the other leagues. We, you know, we just saw an opening there where Lance United was. Um, we liked the, the teams that were in and you know, the clubs that were involved, uh, which have changed a little bit since we signed on. But, um, you know, it was a, it was a strong league with, with good clubs that were involved. Everybody seemed to really be in it for the right reasons and the same reasons, um, you know, and, and getting to know some of the people with UWS it just made a lot of sense. I think our, our philosophies and our reasons for being involved are all in alignment. So it, it just, it made a lot of sense and it didn't really require a lot of research into what else is out there. Uh, you referenced it a little bit about uh, players and I saw you have uh, announced a few players on the Cap City uh, a Twitter page, but um, what kind of a player pool are you going for? Are these uh, graduates of your team or these you know, a, a mix or where are you sourcing your recruiting the players from? Uh, it's a mix. You know, we want to have as many former Cap City players as we can. Um, but, you know, it would be really short-sighted of us to overlook a, a up-and-coming strong Michigan State team right here in our backyard. So, um, you know, one of my first meetings was with Coach Hostler over at Michigan State to see, you know, is this something that he even supports and does he want his players involved? And, um you know, like I said earlier, we want to make sure that, that the coaches, the college coaches are are happy and, and excited to have their players with us. So, um, you know, Jeff and I talked about what our goals are and, and how they align with his goals for his players. And um, so he was happy to support it. And uh, we've got the five, maximum of five Michigan State players allowed. Uh, you can only have five from the same university. But we've also got um, two graduates, so they don't count towards the five. Um, but two of them are coming back, one of whom is a former Cap City player, Danny Steffen. Um, Danny played for us um, all the way up until she went to Michigan State. And then as a, actually a five-year starter with the COVID year at, uh, at Michigan State, she'll be back um, anchoring our midfield as well. But, um, you know, we, we picked a coach, uh, Aaron Mandris, Aaron Conheim Mandris. He was a former Michigan State player, uh, former college, play, uh, college coach as well. Um, but she's an extremely strong leader and and we were really excited that she even entertained the idea. And when she said, yes, it, um, you know, it was everything we could have hoped for. You've got somebody who has started a blog called kick the scale, um, that delves into body image issues and eating disorders and things like that. And it, you know, it all stems from Aaron's own story. Um, but being able to bring in a, a coach like that, I think, was really what was the catalyst for developing what I'm very, very impressed with our roster. I and mean, we've, we've got a number of division one players from, you know, Butler, Michigan state, um, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, central Michigan, um, then into the D two levels and even down into the D three level, we've got players coming back from, from our former youth players. Um, so we're sitting about uh, 30 players right now. Um, you know, and part of that is we don't want to burn anybody out, but we also know that the girls want to have a summer. You know, they they don't need to be 100% committed to every game and every training session. So, um, and then beyond that, we're bringing in a few high school players when their high school seasons are over. Um, Williamston here locally is going to have a really strong team this year. We're bringing in a couple of their players. 
Uh, we've got a girl from Hazlitt coming in um, and one from Holt as well. So I'm really excited about being able to, to get them some exposure to the, the college level of training environment at the very least before they all head off to, to college themselves. I hadn't heard that rule about uh, a limitation of five players rostered from the same school. Is that a um, a school rule or a UWS rule? Where does that come from? I believe it's an NCAA rule. So nobody nobody can have more than five uh, players together um, in an outside of season or outside of program type of um, environment, I guess. Would that be a way to like block up like essentially it being a Michigan State summer club? Yeah, I think that's really what what it gets to is not not allowing colleges to circumvent the um, the seasons that the NCAA has in place. But you know, there's legislation now. You know, on the men's side, you've got the year-round calendar being proposed, um, which I believe is going to be voted on here in the next week or so. Um, and then on the women's side, they've got a proposal up where they will be able to start several weeks earlier in um, in mid-July. So um, that's going to kind of skew some things on, on our end, at least in terms of, you know, if if our teams, well, whichever teams make the um, UWS playoffs, that's going to go into mid-July. So there might be some overlap there with, you know, players having to return to school, uh, you know, depending on where your players are sourced from, if they're having to, to really leave the area, you'll lose them for games as well. But in talking to some of the coaches that we're working with um, for our players, you know, they would be allowed to play in games still because games for college, would, the college women won't start until they normally would, um, but they'll be back for training. So we may lose them for training and, and midweek games, but um, we'd get them back for the weekend games. Do you guys have a uh, venue set up for your uh, UWS season for Cap City? Yep, we're going to play right where Lansing United did. We'll be at the East Lansing Soccer Complex in the stadium field there. Um, you know, really fortunate to, to have that facility and have uh, the city of East Lansing helping us with that situation. That sounds like a good time. I mean, and, and um, that's probably good for, uh, you said that there was some uh, some folks in the community, some younger people, and maybe some some families that were kind of getting in the habit of going to those Lansing United games. So that's probably good to to keep that uniform to in the same location. Yeah, you know, it's the home for our club as well. Our, our youth teams train there and play there. So, you know, not only do the kids get to see these players with their their logo on on their jerseys, but they'll be at the same fields as well. And um, our, our training sessions will overlap with our youth club. Our games will overlap with some of our youth games. So. You know, it's a great way for us to help build a, a game day environment as well. Like people can just kind of wander in. Um, and as we're not going to charge admission, something we, we feel pretty strongly about that, you know, people shouldn't have to pay to come out and, and watch the players play, especially their families. Um, and we don't want to have any barriers for, for the young kids either that really need to see this level of soccer in their own backyard as much as they can. It really sounds like you're trying to... Um... The Cap City Athletic is very much uh, trying to trying to spread the wealth uh, as far as uh, or um, raise a, uh, accessibility of of soccer rather than um, trying to make too much money. Sounds like. Yeah, that's our hope. You know, I, I mean, to be to be blunt, we, we will we will lose a significant amount of money on the women's team this year. Um, you know, we hope to find some 
some partners in the community that that would like to, um, to either donate or sponsor. I mean, we are a 501c3, so you know donations are are tax deductible, and uh, you know we can take sponsorship and advertising money as well. That can be a, a written off as an expense for a business. So, um, but you know, honestly, we're not. We don't want to just go out and, and ask for money. We want to form partnerships. You know, and, and if there's companies out there that would like to help us kind of defray some of the costs, but also could benefit from being a partner with us, whether it's with, you know, the, the 30 women that we've got on the team or the, the 600 families that we've got involved in the club, or hopefully from even outside the club, you know, we, well, well, it's called a cap city team. You know, we're hoping that that kids from the other clubs and uh, whether that be the Capilera soccer league or, or the other clubs that we compete with at our level here locally, uh, we'll still come out and support the players and uh, the women that, that are going to be on the team this year. Your position is listed as director of coaching and player development. And we're also talking about the balance of keeping uh, the players sharp, but not burnt out. So um, would you say that, like, I guess is development of like skills possible in that sort of like uh, time? Well, it's a short time frame, you know, May, June, July, plus uh, you, you don't want to burn them out. Like, is, is development through that summer months, is that, is that realistic? Oh, yeah, certainly. You know, we've kind of asked the girls, the, the women on the team, what do you guys want from this? You know, is it skill development? Is it athletic, athlete development, you know, performance development type stuff, um, even down into leadership development? Um, you know, but I, more to your question, yeah. <clears throat> you know, the, the players can, can really hone their skills in that period of a time. Um, you know, because like I said, again, we don't want to burn them out. So our training sessions aren't going to be, uh, you know, two and three hour events where we're slogging through a bunch of tactical stuff. It's, you know, it, Coach Aaron is, is going to bring them in and, and get them on the same page in terms of, you know, a system of play, a style of play and, and what she wants to see from them there. But, you know, we want to to really get the feedback from each one of the women and say, you know, how can we help? where's your weakness? You know, if you can spend the next eight weeks working on one skill to develop as a player and, and help you earn more playing time back at school or enter the starting lineup, whatever it may be, um, where can we do that? And, and just start to help maybe create some individual player development plans for each one of the, the girls on the roster. Uh, so it's definitely an individualistic uh, or individual approach then to, to, to what you're going to work with them on. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, from a development standpoint, I mean, we obviously want to put out a, a, a team that looks like a team when they're on the field. So um, we're not going to ignore tac <clears throat> tactics, but um, because of really what this is, this is an opportunity for each one of the players to get better. Um, I think a lot of the players we're bringing in are looking at it from that standpoint. And, you know, yeah, we'd love to move on and, and win a national championship. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to our, our mission with the youth club. But are we helping each one of these players get better? Um, and I think if we can do that, then each year it becomes easier and easier for us to attract high-level players because they know they can come in and, and we're putting them first and we're not putting um, team goals in front of their health and their development and you know their overall growth as a person and a player. So then come August after uh, your first season in the uh... – Pro am level. Uh, what what what's a success in your mind? 
Oh, wow. Really haven't thought about that. <laughs> um, right now, I'd say it, it's a success. We, we've got a great coach that we're really excited about. We've got a great roster that we're really excited about. Um, and in year one, I, I don't know that I could have asked for a lot more than that. Um, there was a period where, you know, we, we had some players reach out to us early um, and, and want to join the, the team. And then they pulled out, you know, as other teams, because I, I think since we've joined the league, I think the overall number of women's pro-am teams in the state of Michigan has doubled, if not slightly more than doubled. So, you know, players weren't willing to drive as far. So we had some players from Grand Rapids and um, even Jackson that pulled out uh, to join teams that were a little bit closer, you know, with, uh, with TKO forming a team down in Kalamazoo. And obviously you've got Midwest United who went from EWS over to USL um, in the Grand Rapids area. But um, so, no, I think, I mean, for us, it's already been a success. Um, I think the next the next thing that we would look for would be to have good crowds out there and, and people that are excited to come watch a good product on the field and um, and support some some pretty amazing women that we've brought in for this team. I think they'll 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 be really impressed with the type of people that we've brought in and the, the type of game that these people are going to play. What do you think is behind that? uh a wildfire of new clubs popping up and especially women's clubs. Um, I think, you know, everybody's got their own reason. I think a little bit maybe is um, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, it, it started, I think, a couple of years ago when Lansing United was involved. You know, there weren't a lot of teams that were tied to um, to youth clubs. Um, but I think as some of the some of the teams have gone the way of of being part of a youth club and a structure where you can stay with a club from, you know, the time you're three years old all the way up through your college years on a, a women's team like this, or even a men's team. Um, you know, I think more clubs are seeing it as an opportunity to, to strengthen their club and, and offer something more to the kids. Um, but also, you know, you, you talk to some of the other clubs that are involved and it's, it's exactly what we want is we want to have something for our young players to come and see and, you know, when we talk about in practice, hey, these are the things you need to do to be successful. And they can come and watch these role models on the field, again, wearing the same logo, the same kit, playing on the same field. So, um, and, you know, and on the women's side, there, there's just there's so many women playing the game now um, that that it just makes sense that you would see it kind of explode like this this year. Um you know, you look across the state here locally, or not even locally, I'm sorry, but here in, in Michigan, you know, we're part of Region 2 within the USSF, um, and it's widely regarded as, as probably the second best region in the nation in terms of, of developing women's players. Um, and then Michigan within Region 2 is extremely strong. You go back through the women's national team, and, you know, there's a number of players that have come from Michigan um, on the team. And, um that have come through the national team. But, you know, you look at, you've got, and this is just two players, three players right now off the top of my head that are playing in the UW, or in the NWSL, but, you know, two is Chicago Red Stars and Zoe Morris and Ava Cook. Um, and then you've got uh, one out with Portland, uh, Bethany Balser, who, you know, from the West side and went to um, Spring Arbor and uh, you know, played, I think she, she trained with us with uh, Lance United a little bit and then went out and made Portland team and, has recently had a national camp call up. So, you know, just, just off the top of my head, there's three right there that are performing at a very, very high level right from Michigan. So. 
So um, I I got I think I I know the answer to this and but I have to ask because I, I may not know my uh, my Lansing history but uh, the club is Cap City Athletic eighteen forty seven. Um, what's the eighteen forty seven? That is the year that Lansing became the capital of Michigan. Oh, so it's not the formation of the city; it's the 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 announcement of its capitalness. Yep, that's when it moved from Detroit to Lansing. Oh, I learned something today. I learned something today. Thank you so much. Um, for the listeners that want to learn more about your club, uh, where can we send them? www.capcityathletic.com. And it is not athletics like the baseball team. It is just athletic. Uh, our hope is to one day you know, bring our, our mission and vision into other sports and not just not just soccer, but all of youth sports. So. Uh, it was kind of a a name that that is going to hark into the future a little bit. We're not sure when that might be. Right now, we're we're uh, growing so fast with the the soccer side of things that we don't even have any time to think about what else might be involved. But that I mean, would be are the, you think? Are you talking about possibilities of other sports? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, we we believe that youth sports is a powerful tool for developing young people and. Um, it, it's not just soccer. It could be any sport. So, um, you know, and, and part of it too is with the number of, of kids that that are multi-sport athletes and, and really the the need for them to be multi-sport athletes, it would make a lot of sense for, for there to be kind of a one-stop shop where we could work together and say, you know, hey, it's basketball season now. And I know you still want to develop as a soccer player. So, you know, we've gotten together with the basketball side of things and worked out the practices so that, you know, you can still focus on basketball, but there's opportunities for you to still make soccer practice over here. Um, you know, just from our standpoint, that would, that would really help our multi-sport athletes and, and, you know, our multi-sport athletes, the, the kids that are great at basketball are, are some of our best soccer players as well. So, you know, you don't want to chase them off and send them to one sport. You want to let them make that decision as they develop. And, um, it'd be awesome to have it all under one roof eventually. And do you currently have access to that sort of amount of facilities or is this like, you know, way down the future sort of talk? Yeah. Um, Lansing is extremely underserved in youth sports facilities right now. Um, see the summit and aim high <clears throat> having closed in the last uh, two or three years, it took away a number of basketball courts and then two boardless uh, turfed indoor small sided fields. I believe they played six v six on those fields. Um, but we're down to three boarded indoor fields here in Lansing. Um, I know the basketball teams and coaches that I talked to struggled uh, to find gym space. Volleyball is the same thing. So um, <clears throat> I've been talking to the Greater Lansing Sports Authority and, and Mike Price over there and, <clears throat> and looking at, you know, some solutions potentially. But it's, uh, that's way, a ways down the road. So you got uh, so, some exciting things in the short term, some exciting plans in the long term uh very exciting stuff uh thank you for uh explaining and uh letting us know more about your club cap city athletic 1847 the director of coaching and player development uh mr dan jury thank you so much for uh joining us here on michigan soccer central podcast oh thanks for having us i really appreciate it follow the podcast myself and uh, was hoping that we might get a chance someday so I appreciate you reaching out and, and bringing us on
Another episode of Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. I'm Robert Kerr, your host as always, uh, rounding out the program. Special thanks to my guest, Dan Jury. Really appreciate that. Exciting times in the sports landscape in, uh, in Lansing, no doubt. But now is the time we've all been waiting for, the $100 gift card to Soccer.com. Courtesy of Oakland County FC. I probably should have hit record on the video before that, <laughs> but take two. And now the moment some of you have been waiting for, the Soccer.com $100 gift card, courtesy of Oakland County FC. We got all the names loaded up here in the wheel of names. Who? We'll get $100 for Soccer.com. Let's hit the button, and away we go. Lots of funny names in the list. We'll see if we get any of the funny ones. Oh, yes. We have a winner. Toilet Leak. You will be getting a DM from Michigan Soccer Central's uh, Instagram uh, account uh, to get uh, your email and have uh get 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 your hands on that one hundred dollars at soccer.com courtesy of Oakland County FC. Thank you for joining and uh let us know uh what you spend uh that uh, gift card on if 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 you want to. Uh I don't even know uh what I would uh spend on there. There's so many things. Jenny, you're still with me. I am. What would you spend a hundred dollars on? Uh probably jerseys actually. You'd spend it on jersey? Yeah, probably, probably multiple jerseys. I just cover the extra cost. For, you know, it goes over 100 myself. I, I, need to, I need to increase my collection of, uh, of soccer shirts to wear. Yeah, I'm almost like uh, I don't buy nice things, but can then once you have one nice thing, you want more nice things. And then if That's you usually just how it works, yeah. <laughs> it's like, sure. I never uh, – one of my favorite activities is going into, like, sporting goods stores, but then I'm, you know. One thing leads to another. Yeah, Yeah. one thing leads to another. Well, I think that does it for uh, this week's episode. Look out for a second episode of Michigan Soccer Central Podcast to come after uh, Tuesday night's clash in the Open Cup. So look out for a uh, LaRouge Report segment to come out on its own uh, later in the week. So thank you, Jenny. I can ask you or I can thank you in person. Thank you for editing all these uh, programs for us each week. You're welcome. I enjoy doing it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it anymore. And then thank you to Dan Jury and all of my previous guests on the program. Thank you so much. And uh, keep us in your thoughts, those non-soccer players. We're going to be coaching these kids this week in the freezing cold and uh, <laughs> lots of soccer to be had. I, I think that uh, soccer season is officially, officially on. So, 
I mean it more than ever when I say, enjoy your soccer.